Well, this last week, I almost broke the golden rule of Bible study. I was on vacation, and so I had to get my message done early, and I had this message. I loved the message. I was excited about the message. We did Hannah in chapter 1, and I was just skipping chapter 2. We were going to just go right to chapter 3. We're going to talk about um, Samuel and the, the prophetic and what God's doing would do through Samuel. And here's the golden rule of Bible study. You don't, you don't pick and choose. You don't decide, I don't really like this text. I don't really like what it's saying. I don't like what it would preach like. I'll just skip it. The, the whole idea of going through the Bible is that you deal with what it says, and the authority of this thing is in the text. And so, um, three days in a row, the Lord was just saying, nope, I want you to do this. Nope, I want you to do this. And finally, on day three, I'm like, all right, I'll rewrite the whole thing. And so, uh, so this is going to be an uncomfortable message. Um, but be comforted by this. It's not just going to be uncomfortable for you to hear it. It will be uncomfortable for me to preach it. And so we're all, we're all in this together. So if you wouldn't mind standing in honor of God's word, 1 Samuel chapter 2, 22 through 35. Here we go. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear from the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and with men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offerings, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me? By making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping in your son grieve and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be the sign to you which I am which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them will die. 
but I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. Okay, that's the same. Oh, but I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. And then over in chapter 3, And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, you said in 2 Thessalonians 2 that because they refused to love the truth, you gave them over to deception. Lord, we, we don't just want to hear the truth. We want to love the truth even if we're on the wrong side of it, even if it convicts us, even if it is unpleasant and uncomfortable, please, God, we want to love you and we want to love your truth. So please, Holy Spirit, fill this place. Help us to hear what you are saying to your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. After God's heart honoring God. Point one, Eli is a cautionary tale. This really isn't about Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas have reached a place where it's too late. God isn't speaking to Hophni and Phinehas in this text. It says the Lord's desire was to kill them. What is their story? We, well, we can imagine it. Proverbs 29.1 explains how somebody can get this far gone. It says, He who, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will be suddenly destroyed without remedy. God had come to them as youth. God had come many times as youth. God wanted to do more through their dad, which he was unwilling to do. But the point is this. They're already reprobate at this time. It is too Late for them. It is now God's, the God who loves us, the God who wants everybody to be saved. It's his now, it's his desire to put them to death. Folks, we have no right to ever judge that somebody else is in that state. Um, the idea that, it, that we have to look around and say, I think that person's reprobate. That I've only, in all of my ministry, one time, God has told me, don't engage. It was actually two men. Don't engage with them. Back away. I'm, I need to deal with them now. It was terrifying to me. It only happened once in all my ministry. But it can happen. But this story isn't about uh, Hophni and Phineas. It's about Eli. And frankly, it's frightening. Here's why. Eli believes in God. Eli loves 
the Lord. We see that when the ark of God is taken, he is deeply grieved. Eli has been used by God. He's the one that gave the word to Hannah. It was the word of the Lord that she was going to have a child. But Eli ends up coming under God's judgment. He makes it to heaven, but down here, he does not fulfill God's plan for his life. God said, this is going to be the sign. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are going to die on the same day. It turns out it wasn't just those two that died that day. Eli died on that day. And Phinehas' wife also died that day while giving birth. As she's dying, she gives birth to this child, and she names him Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel. The God who wanted to pour out his glory, not just on Eli and through his house, has now departed from Israel. The effect of his ministry was that the glory had departed. What a tragic story of judgment. Let's make sure that it's not our story. So, point two. Honoring God's opinion. What did he do that was so wrong? Simply put, he loved his sons more than he feared God. 1 Samuel 3, 12 and 13. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Now we have in the text in chapter 2 that he says, sons, you guys, there's a rumor circulating around you. It's not good. The evil you're doing is not good. And so he did say something. But not enough. These guys are blaspheming God. They have brought immorality into the house of God. They have brought greed into the house of God. They needed to be removed as priests. But Eli loved his boys. Boys will be boys. And he didn't want that confrontation. And God said this about Eli, not about Hophni and Phinehas, about Eli. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Are you trying to say that we are despising God when we honor human beings and human opinion over his opinion? It's exactly what I'm saying. Here's John chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus is speaking. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and don't and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. When you care about being liked, when you just want your kids to like you, you want your kids to be for you, you want your relatives, you want your boss, you want your peers, you just want to be liked, you just want to be accepted, and that becomes more important to you than what God feels about you, that's called idolatry. And Jesus said, it will bankrupt your faith. That's 
That how, how can you believe? If this is what you're concerned about, if your audience is people, how can you believe? Your audience needs to be God. You need to honor God. His opinion needs to be enough. Listen, when God accepts you, when God favors you, that's enough. Other people did not give you your identity and they can't take it away unless you've got your identity wrapped up in being liked. I just want to be liked. I just want everybody to like me. I just want to, I just want to, I just want to fit in. I just don't want to cause waste. I just want to watch out. Watch out. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. You can be loved by God and still lightly esteemed by him. Part of the judgment is privileges scorned. 1 Samuel 2, 27 and 28. This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestor's family? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to, 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 to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear my ephod. I also gave your ancestor's family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. The reason why Eli's judgment is so harsh is not just because of what he had done wrong. It was all of the privileges that God gave him. Well, I want you to see how this works. This is, this is David. This is after David has sinned by sleeping with Bathsheba and then killing Uriah. God comes to him and speaks to him. This is 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 through 9 and, and for, verse 14. Nathan, who's a prophet, then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword by the sons of Ammon. However, because of this deed. Oh, then he goes on to say, you are forgiven. But then he says, this is verse 14. But because of this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So the child also that is born to you shall surely die. You read Second Samuel from chapter 12 on. It's, it's really sad. That the man after God's heart has negative thing, negative thing, negative thing, negative thing. And you ask, God, God, how could your judgment be so severe? Here's God's perspective, guys. It's not just about the bad. Here's his case to David. He looks David in the eyes and he says this. How could you? I chose you. I gave you your, your, I gave you Saul's house. I blessed you in a thousand ways. I gave you his wives. I, I, there's nothing that I withheld for you. And if that wasn't enough, all you needed to do is ask. I've got, I had many more blessings that I could give in you. But you have scorned all of the privileges that I had given you. And you went ahead and you committed adultery and then you committed murder to, to try to hide it. And you have given occasion for the Lord's enemies to blaspheme. 
This is what he said about Eli. Your sons were doing this, and you have blasphemed by name, my name, for allowing this to go on. On March 30th of 1863, this is right in the middle of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln gave a national decree for a day of prayer. Now, if you want to get the full proclamation of that day, because the whole thing is intense and amazing, email me and I will send you the whole one. I can't read the whole thing for the sake of time, but I'm going to start right in the middle of the proclamation. 1863, March 30th. Here's what he says. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a, nas- as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship in their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. In witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be fixed, done at the city of Washington, This 30th day of March, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln. Guys, I want to tell you what terrifies me about America. It's not the evil we've done. Oh, we've done evil. We've we've aborted babies. We've... We've been immoral and promoted immorality and sent it all over the world. We've had sex slaves. America has lots of evil that it's done, but it's not the evil that terrifies me. What terrifies me is the privileges that we've had. It's been 160 years since the Civil War. No nation has ever been this prosperous, so wealthy. But it's, it's, it's not even those riches that scare me. What scares me is 
No other nations had the gospel preached the way it's been preached in America. 160 years of preaching. In every way, every movie, every song that we've had, every sermon, every, the, inter, the, the gospel has been preached again and again and again and again. And in the light of this great privilege, we've heard a lot about privilege lately. God's not asking us to feel guilty for privilege. But he also wants us to bear the weight of responsibility that privilege has. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said it more than once. To him who has been given much, much is going to be required. What has America done with all of its blessings? So on September 26th, there's a ministry that has put together this event called The Return. It's going to be in Washington, D.C., but it's going to be simulcasted all over the country. This church is going to be part of it. It is a day of national repentance. National, as Abraham Lincoln said, humiliation. Where we, where we agree with God about what sin is and about how much we've sinned and about the deserved judgment. And then in that place of repentance and honesty, then we ask for mercy. We ask for mercy. You will hear a lot more about this day. We'll have, there's different videos for it. Um, That's all coming. Point three, last point, the Samuel generation. 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And, the, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So I want to retract something I said a couple of weeks ago. I said that when people stop listening, God stops speaking. And that's why the word of the Lord was rare. That's why, um, and as I was studying this this week, I don't think that's the case. I, I think God was still speaking. Here's why I think it. Samuel made his bed as close to the ark of God as he could. The ark was, was where the manifest glory of God was. A lot of people were just afraid of the ark. They didn't want the ark near them. Samuel had a different spirit. He wanted to be as close to God as was legal. And he made his bed as close as he could. And guess what? God spoke. <laughs> I don't think that God had stopped speaking. I think people were living their lives so far from God that they couldn't hear him anymore. People like to say this to God, speak louder. And God says back, come closer. God whispers. If you want to hear a whisper, you've got to get close. Speak louder, God. Come closer. Speak louder. Come closer. Well, Samuel was, was the, the precursor of David. David, of course, is called the man after God's own heart. And the reason why he was the man after God's own heart is he delighted in God. 
He delighted in God's presence. He wanted to be near God. It, it's, it's when the word delight comes back. The, delight, the word delight was kind of lost. Eden means delight. And mankind had lost delight. David brought it back. David what, didn't just do his religious duty. He was excited about God. He loved the presence of God. He wanted to be close to the presence of God. That is Samuel. He wants to be near God. After David sinned, what he prayed in Psalm 51, 11, do not cast me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He never mentioned his home, his position, his family. David treasured above all other things the closeness of God after God's heart. So God's answer for that day was to raise up Samuel. What is his answer for this day? I'm going to read it to you in Acts 2.17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. God says, here's my plan. In the midst of Hophni and Phinehas, in the midst of the last days where people are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, where they have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. In that day, in those last days, right in the midst of that generation that everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, God says this, in the last days, I'm going to raise up not one Samuel, I'm going to raise up a whole generation of Samuels. I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons. It's not just Samuel. It's also Samantha. Your sons and your daughters. I'm going, to, I'm going to raise up a generation of young people that are different. That, that have a different culture than they're living in. That's the answer that God has. But there is a, there is a test that Samuel had to pass and that young people today are going to have to pass. Let me, let me get to it. Here it is, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. So Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. He said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So here's how the story goes. God speaks, says Samuel, and Samuel runs to Eli and says, what do you want? He said, I didn't say anything. And, and, and so this happens three times. The third time, Samuel, Eli realizes, oh my, God is speaking to this kid. Since this time, instead of saying, uh, coming to me, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So God says, Samuel, a third time, Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then God downloads this word. And it is a word of judgment against Eli. It is very, very strong. And he's afraid of telling Eli the word. And Eli comes to him. 
And here's the significance of this, folks. Eli has already failed this test. He's already chosen his sons and loving his sons over what the truth was and what the truth would demand of him. He, he sees that Samuel's under the same thing. Are you going to choose? There's no one Samuel loves more than Eli. Eli is his father. Eli is his mentor. Eli is his hero. And he's got a word that is going to be right in the face of the one that he loves, the one that he wants to please. He's grown up wanting to please. And Eli says this, do not fail this test. You tell me everything. Do not withhold anything. Do not pass. Do not fail the test that I failed. So Samuel does hard things. And he gives Eli what the word is. You know what the next verse says? It says that the word of the Lord came to Samuel then, to all Israel. There was a revival in the land as God did not let one word from Samuel's mouth fail. And there was a revival in the land and there it was known again that God is among us. And God, after Samuel passed this test, God honored him with an authority unprecedented until that time. So let me tell you what the test is today. Here's the question I've got for you. Do you fear God more than you want to please culture? Turns out it's not enough to love God's presence. You have to love his truth as well. And you have to be willing to stand for God's truth even if culture is displeased. So, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, let's just get right to it. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So the Lord looks you right in the eyes and he says this, don't be deceived. There is deception in our culture. There is a deception in our culture that basically tries to change the gospel and make it something that it's not. That it's somehow okay because of grace to sleep with people before you're married, to commit immorality before you're married. And this is all over Hollywood. Everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. It is presented as if it is an unfair boundary. How could God be so mean to give you these sexual desires and then make this boundary that you have to stay within? It's not right. And so, 
we change our belief and it becomes okay. And of course, we don't want to let go of Jesus because we want to go to heaven. We don't want to let go of forgiveness, but we just kind of get into this meandering of compromise. It's called deception. It's all over this current generation. Now, the big issue is not immorality because everybody, even Christians, basically know that it's wrong, even if they're doing it. it you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, that God is pretty clear on that. The big issue of our day, of course, is homosexuality. It says those who practice homosexual behavior are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That homosexuality as a lifestyle, as a practicing, is wrongdoing and God does not turn the other way and it will keep you out of the kingdom of God. And that is militantly against our culture right now. Our culture is trying to say in a thousand different ways that it is okay. And the reason why it's difficult is because it's not just about an action, it's about an, an identity that I had no control over and I am just this way. And so to be against it and to say that God has a boundary seems very unloving, very mean, and it makes you very, very unpopular. And I would say this to the younger generation, um, just so you know what the score is, if you take this stand, you will be hated by this culture. This culture that is tolerant, I got news for you. They are only tolerant if you don't believe this. They're tolerant of anything else you want to believe, but don't ever say that something is definitively wrong, that they have said is right and is okay because it's mean, it's bigoted, it's da-da-da-da-da. And, uh, and that's God's test. Are you going to honor God? Or are you going to fit into culture? Are you going to take a stand? Or are you just going to go along with the culture? Everybody's being tested. Now, Pastor Tom, are you saying that God's against homosexuals? Please know this. Absolutely not. God loves people. Jesus died for people. Now, I've got news for you. God doesn't call anyone a homosexual or a bisexual. That identity did not come from God. But, but, but God has four things, and the church has been on the wrong side of this, so it's really important for us that we share God's message about this. God has four things to those who are regularly experiencing same-sex desire. Four encouraging things that he wants you to know if you are dealing with same-sex desire on a continual basis. Number one, same-sex desire is not sin. It's brokenness. We are all broken in different ways because of the devastation of sin on the human race. 
everybody has easily besetting sins. Temptations that they're more liable to than others. Why? Because sin is in the human race and we are broken as a race. This is just one more way to be broken. It is not a sin to have same-sex desire. It is just a result of brokenness. Number two. Same-sex desire is not your identity. Let me tell you how God sees this thing. God sees himself as the only one that has the right to give you an identity. And here's the identity that he gives you in Jesus Christ. Favorite son or favorite daughter. That, that identity comes from heaven. See, the power of a name is that it, 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 it's an identity. So the enemy has tried to name this generation. He wants to get the name and get you to agree with an identity of homosexuality or with bisexuality or whatever all of the other list of things are. He wants you to agree with that identity. Why? Why is it so important to the enemy? Not that you just just do bad behavior, but that you accept it as an identity. Listen, once you've agreed with an identity for yourself, it's almost impossible to rise above it. It's almost impossible to live differently when you accept this is my identity. Listen, that identity did not come from heaven. There is a thief that wants to steal who you are. There is a thief above that's trying to steal a whole generation of young people by putting names on them and confusion on them about sexual identity. Number three, acting on same-sex desire by engaging in homosexual acts is sin, but not the unforgivable sin. Did you notice that in this list that those who do wrong are not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Did you notice that you were in that list? It wasn't just those who practice homosexuality. It was those who have been immoral, those who have lied, those who are greedy, those who have stolen. We were all in that list, folks. Thank God it doesn't end with verse 7. It goes on, and Paul says, And such were some of you. But you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been redeemed, you you have, by the grace of God, been made something else. So God doesn't see us locked into our worst behavior or our worst sin or our worst darkness. God is calling us out of that into his identity for our life, which is to be favored sons and favored daughters. Now, here is the most important one, number four. Same-sex desire is a cross you bear until you are healed and deserves the church's compassion, not judgment. Listen. Part of the tension of this day is how the church has responded when somebody's experiencing same-sex desire. Because of fear, the church can be very afraid. It is just like, get away from me, get away. I don't want you near, and I'm going to withhold my love, and you're, you're, just stay away. When somebody is experiencing same-sex desire, make no mistake about it. It's a cross. They don't want it. They wish they weren't like that. It is very difficult. 
I have met with so many in the privacy of my office with tears and heart-wrenching stories. I've yet to have one situation where they're like, I am so glad I'm like this. No, it's, it's just the opposite. And some of these are amazing Christians. And they do not need the church's judgment. See, we all have crosses, don't we? We all have things that we would not have chosen for ourselves that are in our life. Frankly, we pray, don't we, that they'll be removed, don't we? Paul, Paul prayed three times, take this thorn away. Satan has caused it. I don't want a part of my life. And God said, Paul, I'm, I'm actually leaving this here for now. My, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is actually going to be revealed stronger because of your weakness. I am not saying you can't be healed of same-sex desire. You can. There's been stories of it, but not necessarily. You might not get healed until heaven. Well, Pastor Tom, what am I supposed to do then? I'm a sexual being and I've got the... Uh, this is really hard. Be celibate. Be celibate. You're a favorite son. You're a favorite daughter. Be celibate before God. Pastor Tom, that seems so unfair. Listen, we're only going to be down here for a few minutes, folks. Everybody needs to remember that. We're only down here for a few minutes. And trust me, everybody's got a cross. Everybody's got a cross. It is absolutely legal to pray for healing, to pray, God, heal me from this, heal me of my brokenness, and he might do it. You might get limited healing. You might get some. But listen, what I want to speak to is the church. Because what the church has done has taken this cross and made it way heavier by rejection. But, I, 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 you're, you know, you're not going to be a close friend. You're not. You, you, listen, when people are experiencing same-sex today, they don't need your judgment. They, they need your mercy. They need your help. They need you to pray with them. Here's what they need most of all, friendship. Do you know what they need most of all? Same-sex friendship. That's right. It's healing for them. Same-sex friendship that has no sexual overtones at all. That is very healing. And so God is calling us guys to be better as the church. We, we are to love the truth and be willing to be hated by our culture. That is absolutely true because this is, it doesn't go over well when you take a stand. But we need to speak the truth in love. All right, last point. It actually, it's part of the last point. How will God honor those who honor him? So if you choose to honor God, you choose to honor God by choosing his presence as your greatest delight. By making your, not just your bed, but your life as close to the ark of God as you can. Just say, I, I, I'm, whatever anybody else does, I'm going to be near God. Asaph said it like this, the nearness of God is my good. I choose you, God. I want your presence. And if you honor God by loving his truth and being willing to be on the bad side of culture, God says, those who honor me, I'm going to honor. Now I want you to hear how God honors Samuel. Chapter 2, verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. 
Number one way he honors those who honor him is he reveals himself, not as a one-timer, but again and again and again. He revealed himself to Samuel. Psalm 25, verse 14, the intimacy of the Lord is for those who fear him. One, One translation says the secret of the Lord. You will be God's special friend, and he will reveal himself to you. But it's not just about him revealing himself to you. He's going to reveal himself through you. Guys, anybody in that day would have said Israel is lost. There's no fear of God in the land. The religious system is corrupt. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And God took one young man and he raised him up. He didn't just reveal himself to Samuel, but he revealed himself through Samuel, through the prophetic word. And all of a sudden, the fear of God came back into the land. And so you look at America today, and you say, no way. America is gone. The church is mocked in America. God is mocked. God's morality is mocked. America's too far gone. Listen, God's not just raising up one Samuel. He's raising up a whole generation. And it's not just young people. You can sign up for this if you're my age. You can sign up for this. But let me tell you something. The best is yet to come. The word of the Lord is going to be revealed, I believe, in this land through a Samuel generation. I believe the word, I believe the fear of God is coming back to America. I believe signs and wonders are coming back to America. I believe God's got something planned way, way greater than anything that we have seen. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and I'm going to tell you one last story. If you've been around here a while, you've heard this story again, but it bears repeating. 2017, I'm at our national convention and a young man named John Hammer is the preacher that day. John Hammer is the son of Dan Hammer. Dan Hammer is, um, he's the only guy I would say in our whole fellowship that is a true prophet. I would call him, he speaks all over the world. God uses him in signs and wonders everywhere. His church is called Sunrise Chapel, miracles all the time. And uh, John's his son. So John gets up and his text is on the double anointing. Well, if you've been around City Church, in 2012, we had a prophet come here in the middle of our prayer meeting and said, ask me for a double anointing. And we've been contending for a double, without knowing exactly what it will look like, we've been contending for that. So my ears are perked up. He's speaking on the double anointing. God, speak to me. And John starts telling me his story telling us his story. So he grew up in a Christian home, going to Christian schools as this great prophet's son. I mean, you talk about privileges. He's got every possible privilege. But in his teenage years, he goes dark. He goes very dark. Now, the insidious thing about his darkness is no one knows He has learned how to do church. He's learned how to say the right thing. He's learned when to raise his hand. He's learned how to do so. So he starts living this double life and the darkness just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. He goes into pornography. He goes into drugs. He goes into this very, very dark place and it's all happening right under his mom and dad's roof. 
A couple times he said, I tried to tell my dad that I was struggling, and he just said, you're a good kid, you'll be fine, da-da-da-da-da. But he got to be 18 years old, and he couldn't, he couldn't do it anymore. And he didn't know what his dad would do because he was going to tell him everything that he had done. And it was really bad. So he gets together with his dad and pours it all out. And his dad, his dad begins to weep and takes John into his arms and, and holds him. And John said that he felt God's healing as my dad was, was holding me. So it was a couple weeks later, he goes to this, there's a prophet in the Seattle area and he goes to hear him and John is called out of the service to come forward and the prophet in front of everybody prophesies over John, you are going to receive a double anointing of what was on your father's ministry. And John is like, this doesn't seem right. So he goes home to tell his dad. He said, dad, this is what the guy said over me. And Dan, Dan says to him, Son, this morning's reading was Elisha and Elijah and the double anointing. He said, this is the word of the Lord for you. And so he spoke, I think it was Wednesday night that he spoke, and I struggled. I struggled the whole week. And it's Sunday morning. The, the, the whole thing is over. I'm down in the hotel lobby. I'm having a cup of coffee. I'm having my quiet time. And God just starts downloading to me. Because I'm asking him about this. God, I could see him being forgiven. You love people. I could see him being active in a church and still being used and maybe even being in ministry. But are you kidding me? A double anointing? After all of the privileges he scorned, after all of the darkness, after all the games he played, don't you get disqualified at some point? And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, no, no. This is my plan. It's not going to be about better people. It's going to be about, I'm going to pour out more grace. I'm going to pour out more grace. I'm going to take people that deserve judgment. And I'm not just going to forgive them. I'm going to call them and I'm going to pour out so much grace on them. That the world will see who I am. And so... I, I'm, I write all of this down in my journal and about that this is now my new understanding that, that the way the end times revival is coming is not because we're going to be awesome, but because he's awesome and he's going to be really gracious. And so I write that all down. I go up to my hotel room. I get my swimsuit on. I get my next cup of coffee and I go down to the hot tub where I'm going to finish my quiet time. I'm going to have my, my prayer time in the hot tub. And I get down there and there's this 17-year-old kid, Latino kid, in the hot tub, and his name is Marcus. And I asked him um, what he was doing here, and he said, oh, he said, I got in a car accident a few months ago, and I hurt my arm, and I come here to, uh, to because it feels good. He says, how about you? I said, I'm here for a pastor's convention. He said, does that mean you're a Christian? And I said to myself, hope so. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. He said, well, he said, well, it's funny. He said, because ever since that accident, I've been really depressed. And a few weeks ago, I, I started going to church. And I, and I said, Marcus, there's this verse that says that Jesus is standing at the door knocking and he uses everything. 
And he's waiting for people to open the door. I said, Marcus, is that you? Is Jesus? He said, that is absolutely me. Jesus is knocking. And I said, buddy, you can open the door. You can open the door right now. Do you, do you want me to lead you in a prayer to open your He's like, yeah, let's do it. And so I lead him to Christ and I get done praying. And I said, you know, Marcus, Jesus isn't just a savior. He's also a healer. And 80% of his ministry, he healed the sick. We could pray for that arm right now. He said, let's do it. And so I pray for the arm and he's like, oh, the pain's going away. He starts moving it around and... And, and, but I'm thinking about this kid and, and how depressed he's been. And I'm like, Marcus, there's more. Um, Jesus actually sent the Holy Spirit and there's this, there's this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I told him about Acts 2 and they all began to speak in tongues. And I said, this is like a secret language. It's like a, a weapon you can use whenever you're depressed to fight back. And, and I said, do you want the baptism? He said, yeah. I said, you want me to pray? Yeah. And so I pray for him. I'm speaking in tongues. He's speaking in tongues. It's all happening. And I, but I'm still thinking about this poor kid because he's fighting this. And I said, let me tell you a little about spiritual warfare, Marcus, before we leave. I said, the, the enemy comes and, and he disguises himself a, as your own thoughts and, 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 and it'll be a very loud voice in your head. And, and here's what I want you to know, Marcus. The loudest voice is not the truest voice. That God has given us authority over thoughts that are wrong. And, and you can actually say no in Jesus' name. It's the first sign that follows believers is they will cast out demons in Jesus' name. And God wants you to know you have this authority. And he says, Marcus says, I know that voice. I've heard that loud voice paralyzing voice. And I said, well, here's how, here's how you take a stand against it. And, and he just stops me. He says, you know, can, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm sick all of a sudden. I, I'm, I need to go up to my hotel room. I've said, okay, ha, go, go on up. Great to meet you. And so he gets up on the, the, the patio of the hot tub and he starts puking. He starts puking green. It's all coming out. And finally, after he does this several times, the Pentecostal pastor realizes, oh my, he's getting delivered from demons right now. And I, so I, I, get, I get up, I finally get with the program, put a hand on his back, and just pray for cleansing and freedom. And, and he, gets, he gets done. He says, he's got a huge smile. He says, I cannot tell you how much better I feel. I said, I can only imagine. I said, uh, I said dude, you go back to your room. I'm going to clean this up for you. So he goes back up, and I'm alone. And I'm like, God, what, what just happened? For 45 minutes, no one came into this space. And I, I've seen something I've never seen in my ministry before that or since. 45 minutes, kid gets saved, healed, filled with the Holy Spirit, and delivered from demons in 45 minutes. Let me tell you what happened. That was a foretaste of the double anointing. Folks, this is going to another level. God wants to pour out his spirit. Could we stand together? Let's sing, and then I will give a closing prayer. So I, I have a couple of prophetic words that were given to me. Here's the first one. I have used my mighty fist to beat the rocks of your hard heart to a fine dust. A broken and contrite heart I will not despise. It is from me. The time for beating with my fist has subsided. Now I will bring water, my living water, to your soul, your heart, to prepare a rich soul soil that I may send my seed, the word of my mouth, the planting of your heart, to grow 
sprout and bear rich fruit that I desire to bring to full harvest. A time comes and is not yet known by you when the fullness of a heart bearing fruit grown in the fertile soul soil will produce a harvest plentiful and rich to give bread to the eater and my food to all who are hungry in heart. Here's the other word. God wants to heal. Somebody's been having intermittent lower back pain and it's made it hard for you to sit at times. Somebody else has been experiencing sharp right ankle pain whenever you begin to walk. And Jesus is here to heal. He's here to heal hearts and bodies. So if your response today is, Pastor Tom, I want to be part. I don't want to be Eli. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to just have some religion and make it to heaven. I, I want to be Samuel. I want to be part of God's solution. Would you just open your arms like this right now? I want to pray for you. Lord, whenever you come with hard, strong, conflicting words, It is to soften us so that you can form us, so that we can be in alignment and agreement with your purpose. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, here I am with my brothers and sisters. First, we just say, Jesus, we choose you. We choose your presence over all of the lesser pleasures of this world. We choose you, Jesus. We we purpose to set our life near the ark of God as possible. And then, Father, we say yes. We will fear you more than we love the praise of culture. We will stand for your truth, whatever it costs us. So, Lord, I just release healing in this place right now. Lord, healing, healing of hearts, healing of same-sex desire, healing of lower backs, healing of ankles, healing of bodies, healing of cancer, healing of of, uh, epilepsy in Jesus' name, healing of diabetes. I release healing because we're in the presence of God repenting. Raise us up, God. Raise us up, God, we pray. If Jesus was knocking on your heart today and you have not accepted Christ, I want you to contact me by email or call the church office or talk to me here. It's going to take about 15 minutes. I'll make a personal appointment if it's during the week to lead you to Christ. I want to encourage you about tonight. Tonight starts at 6 o'clock. It's a very important time for our country. It's a very important time for this church to seek God. For those of you online, I, I've got a wide open run in your own lane. And so I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm simply asking you to ask God, God, are we supposed to come in person tonight? I want you to know that you would be welcome here with your family. We understand the kids make noise. We understand the kids might be not perfectly behaved. But just ask the Lord. It is a very important time for this nation. It is time for the church to rise up. 
It's time for the church to be counted. God wants to pour out his spirit. All right, team. God bless you. We're still on COVID rules, so make your way to an exit. Bless you.